to transform people's lives and even cities as it, as it happened here in Ephesus. The Ephesians worshipped a goddess. Her name was Artemis. That was the Greek name. The Roman name for this goddess was Diana. She had a temple that was gigantic. It was nearly double the size of the temple that was in Jerusalem. And she was considered to be the highest, according to the Ephesians, of the pantheon of the Roman and Greek gods. In fact, they called her Lord and Savior. She was above all spiritual forces. And so when Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus, there was a great clash between the powers of light and the powers of darkness. People were delivered of demonic influences, so much so that they took their magic potions, their formulas, their amulets, and all of their black magic and, and spells, and they laid them down and they burnt them up. And it impacted the city so much that the silversmiths and other people who were promoting this false religion were impacted economically to the point where they started a riot in the city. And Paul survived that riot and had a fruitful ministry for two years in Ephesus. And that's where we find ourselves as we come to this passage of Scripture, because these are a people that needed to understand that the power of Yahweh, the power of God, was greater than the power of Artemis and every spiritual force in the universe. And so Paul comes to this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and he wants to let them know what the power of God can do. So why don't you turn with me to your Bible, or we'll put it up on the screens as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul's talking about the power of God. Hear the word of the Lord. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I love this verse. Here comes the power of God. But God, but God, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should indeed walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's Paul. He, he wants these Ephesians to understand that they have no fear in this life, that the great power of God has brought them from death to life. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead has brought them out of death and into life. And if they have that power, which has raised them from spiritual death, they have nothing to fear. And they understood what it meant to walk in the power of death. They understood what it meant to be enslaved to sin and trespasses. 
In this temple of Artemis, there was all sorts of strange things that were happening in the name of worship of, of this goddess. They, they practiced sexual morality and wine-bibbing and all of these pagan idolatries, things that would make us even blush today. They were dead in their sins and their trespasses. There was no life in them. They were spiritually dead. Of course, they weren't physically dead, but they were spiritually dead. And we understand what it means to be without God. What it means is that we're dead. We're not alive, that we're in our sins and our trespasses. We're in bondage. We're not truly free. It reminds us of the time when Adam and Eve in the back story of the garden, when they were our prototypical parents, had this unfettered relationship with God. They were lost in their sin. Before they were lost in their sins and the trespasses, they had purpose, they had freedom, they had assurance. They had the purpose that they knew that they were there to glorify God and, and to enjoy Him in a relationship with Him. They had freedom to do the right thing. They had the assurance to know that they had a right relationship with God. But one day that was all disrupted, wasn't it? Due to a choice that they made, that they, they, they thought that they could find a greater purpose outside of God. They thought that they could find greater freedom if they chose to do what they wanted to do instead of they knew what to do. You know, sometimes people think that freedom is doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. But the fact is freedom is knowing to do the right thing and then doing the right thing. And Adam and Eve made a, made a, a horrible decision thinking that, that they would have freedom and then they lost their sense of assurance. You know, one of the greatest tragedies that I read in the Bible, one of the things that breaks my heart when I read the text in the book of Genesis chapter 3, is at one point in time when God entered the garden, what did Adam and Eve do? They ran to him. They embraced him. They were excited to be with him. But they lost that sense of purpose of being in relationship with him when they chose to go their own way, did they not? They were dead in their trespasses. At one point in time, they would run to God, but then the story in the book of Genesis is that when God walked in the cool of the garden, he came into the garden. What did they do as a result of losing their purpose? They ran from him. Oh, how heartbreaking that must have been for God that his children at one time would run to him, and now that they began to run from him, they lost their sense of purpose. Satan always promises us, friends, he always promises us that if we do what we want to do whenever we want to do it, that we're going to have great freedom. But how many people have made a choice and chose to follow the way of their flesh, chose to follow the ways of this world and found themselves in a space that they thought would bring them freedom but actually brought them death? Isn't that amazing how that works? The short promise of freedom brings the long-term promise of bondage. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. They, they thought what would truly bring them free actually brought them bondage. And then finally, probably the worst of the worst of the worst was they had no assurance whatsoever. What was the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they found themselves naked and ashamed? What did they try to do? They tried to hide and cover themselves with, with itchy fig leaves. And, and the hopes and the thoughts that they could have confidence again with God by wearing these fig leaves, but they had no confidence before God, did they? In fact, God had to provide a sacrifice for them which points to Christ, who is our confidence. Friends, let me ask you this question today. Do you have a sense of purpose in your life? Do you know what your purpose is? Your purpose is to glorify God. Your purpose is to enjoy Him each and every day, 
Do you realize when you get out of bed in the morning that God has a desire for you to be in deep and intimate and personal fellowship with him? And that no matter what you do in this life, that is the foundation of life. And when we're dead in our trespasses, rather than running to God, we have a tendency to run from God. Friends, God wants us to be completely free. He wants to set us free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But preceding that, it says, if you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciple. And then you'll know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Friends, God has a way for us. God has a plan for us. God has laid out the way that we can have life and true life in Christ. And that Satan is always promising us a false hope that says you will truly be free. But oftentimes, nay, I say every time, his promise falls short, does it not? Particularly for unbelievers, they, they have no sense of purpose, freedom, or assurance. And sometimes Satan lies to us as believers, and we find out that we have no sense of purpose, freedom, or assurance either. That's what Paul is saying, that, that they were lost and they were dead. They were in this space where they lived their lives with no sense of purpose, aimlessly casting spells and, and trying to gain favor with the gods and going into the temple and doing these things and trying to gain favor economically by by going through the black arts and doing these different things. And you say, well, we're so different today, but no, we have the same problems today. You think we can manipulate the market and we can outsmart it and make a lot of money. We think we can find our, our life and things that don't bring life all the time. I'm going to let you know something. I want to let you know that beyond anything else in this life, there's nothing more important than you and I have a good relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But the problem is, apart from God, there is no life. Apart from God, we lost it all. Apart from God without him, we're in a space where we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. But praise be to God, we don't have to follow the ways of this world. We don't have to follow the prince of the power of the air. We have a greater God, a great Savior, Jesus Christ, who has done something about our sinful and lost and broken condition. We are not hopeless and without help. Isn't that good news today? Because, you know, when I read the scriptures here, Paul goes on to say that we move into this space where, but God, if, if without God, we'd be trapped and we'd be stuck with no sense of purpose, with no freedom, with no assurance. But, but God came and did something about it. Amen. Isn't that exciting? I don't know about you, but it stirs me up to, to know that God has not left me in a, in a place where I'm not just in total and complete bondage to my sin. Right? God does, did something. Isn't that great? It doesn't say, but you. Aren't you glad it says, but you figured it out, but you were so smart, but you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and you, you began to do the religious exercises that God requires. But God, God sent his son to lay down his life for you and for me. Why? Because of his great love, because he's rich in mercy. Listen, if there's anything you have to understand, if you ever want to get confused about God, you need to look to the cross. The perfect and most brilliant display of who God is is in the person, ministry, and work of Jesus Christ. There is no greater display of God's character than in what Jesus Christ has done upon the cross for you and for me. He paid the price. He bore the wrath of God for us that we might live free by faith in him as we repent of our sin and embrace what Christ has done for us.
Amen. That's what our faith is. But God did something about it, friends. Here's the thing. You know, a lot of people talk to me, and they, 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 they'll say to me, you know, a lot of unbelievers say, you know, Jeff, wouldn't you say that all major religions are about the same? And I say, yeah, I agree with you. All major world religions, all religions are basically the same. And then they kind of nod their head and smile, and then I say, but one. And then they usually cock their head and go, huh? And I tell them, it's a matter of spelling. The difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world is a matter of how you spell them. Every other major world religion, you know how they spell it? D-O, do. About, it's about what you have to do to make yourself right with God. It's what the Ephesians were doing. Casting spells, buying amulets to protect themselves, by going to people that practice witchcraft to try to be successful in business, to do all these different things and manipulate their circumstance. They had no sense of anything other than bondage. They were trying to do, do, do to try to make their goddess, their patron goddess, bestow favor upon them. And, and they had no sense of anything. It's like Islam. They have five pillars of Islam. They have the the profession of faith where they say there's no other God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. They, ha they have um, their five daily uh, prayers. Uh, they give alms. They have the pilgrimage called the Hajj. They practice fasting during Ramadan. I'll never forget a time many years ago where I was meeting with an imam in Atlanta and I was a part of this group called Meetings for Better Understanding. And I said to the imam, I said, you know, let me ask you this question. You know, you have five pillars. Yes, we have five pillars. And, you know, if you keep those pillars, you, you get to go to paradise, right? Well, you know, if, if you've done them well enough. And I said, well, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, is Muhammad in paradise? He said, no doubt Muhammad's in paradise. I said, let, let me ask you another question. Could Allah say to Muhammad, if he's just, maybe Allah's having a bad day, uh, you can't come into paradise if that was Allah's desire? He said, well, sure, he could, but he didn't. I said, but he could, right? He said, yeah, you're right. I said, let me tell you something. God could never bar me from heaven if he wanted to. And he doesn't want to because Christ has paid the price for me. You see, every other major world religion is spelled D-O, but Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. What Christ has done for us to make us right with God. Right? But God made us alive with Christ. Even, listen, we were dead in our trespasses. There was nothing we could offer him but death. And he resurrected us out of that space. And listen, this is what he's telling the Ephesians, that he has raised us up with Christ. And he seated us in heavenly places. We are far above every rule, every power, every authority in Christ. What a beautiful picture. Nothing can be stolen from us when we put our faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Isn't that good news today? Isn't that something worth celebrating? Let me ask you this question. You know we lost it all, and Christ does it all, but, but have you received the gospel? Have you received Christ? Have you truly accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Are you living your life aimlessly on simple pleasures? Are you living your life without a sense of purpose? Are you living your life in freedom? Do you have the assurance that you know that you know that you know when you check out of this place, you're going to be with God 
for eternity in heaven. By faith in the cross and what Christ did, you can have that assurance. You see, we lost it all. He did it all. But listen to this. We get it all. You know, without God, we're dead in our trespasses. With God, we are made alive in Christ. But with God, we also have a life that's worth living. That's what he goes on to say in verse uh, 2, 8 through 10. He reiterates. I want to, he wants to let us know. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Right? It's a gift of God. What Our faith and our salvation is a gift of God. It's not a result of works. He wants to clarify that before he makes this next point so that no one might boast. But then he goes on to say something so important and something that we sometimes forget. For we are God's workmanship. Woo! Do you hear that? We are God's workmanship. Listen to what he says. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Yet you haven't been saved by your works. You've been saved by the work that Christ has done. But he saved you and he saved me and he's given us a life worth living to do good works which he has prepared in advance, carefully prepared in advance for us to do. Makes me think of 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. What a beautiful passage of scripture. Most of us, if we've been in the church for a period of time, have learned this. If you're in Christ... You're a new creation. You're God's workmanship. You've been created in Christ Jesus. You be in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Behold, all old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. We have a life worth living. God's, he's given us a life to love him and love our neighbors as ourselves. We've been raised up with Christ. We are seated in heavenly places. We can overcome this world through faith in Christ. He was, you know, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he or she that believes that Jesus Christ is Lord. We don't have to fear this world. We don't have to fear what's going on all around us. We don't have to curse the darkness. We need to become the light of the world so that people might see the good deeds that we perform in the name of the Jesus so they might glorify our Father in heaven. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We don't have to be all upset and frightened about the days that we're living. And listen, the gospel took root in an extraordinarily pagan and lost society. They were doing things that we would blush at today. And you think we've fallen off the radar. They were way off the radar. Friends, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. The gospel transforms lives. The gospel transforms communities. The gospel transforms the world one life at a time. Isn't it great to be a part of a church that proclaims the truth and the power that's in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. We have hope in this world. We do not have to be overcome. God is greater than all of our sin. God is greater than all of our brokenness. God is greater than all things. He is the great I am. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this day. There's not... One person that's here by mistake today. Not one person came in here haphazardly. Lord, you brought each person here for a purpose. And that purpose, I believe, was to know 
but you have paid for the penalty of their and my sin. Father, we know that we need a Savior, and our Savior is Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would encourage those who need encouragement. I pray you would bless those who need a blessing. I pray you would restore those who need restoration. I pray you would heal those who are broken. And I pray you'd give hope to those who are hopeless in this dark and difficult time. And we pray all these things for your glory and our good, and particularly that people would come to know your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as their Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing our last song. We had a